Blog Talk Radio. Continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. When you find yourself in danger, when you're threatened by a stranger, when it looks like you will take a licking, there is someone waiting who will hurry up and rescue you. Just call for Super Chicken. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Today is Monday, July 28th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit my website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Of course, from there you can also sign up for the home delivery issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Same thing that some people like to just sit back in an easy chair and read a physical magazine, and we can accommodate you there, too. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over at Tractor Supply, the stuff you need out here. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then check out Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from 100% appearance-grade western red cedar with galvanized hardware and advanced all-weather joinery right here in the USA. Compared to other coops, Urban Coop Company coops will last longer and look better doing it. They're designed to be both beautiful and functional. In fact, they have earned the Chicken Whisperer seal of approval and are Chicken Whisperer approved. I invite you to browse their website to learn more about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. Urban Coop Company is a family-owned business located in Dripping Springs, Texas, USA. 
they're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit them online at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Established in 1957, GQF has become the name to trust when it comes to quality products and superior customer service. GQF offers a wide range of poultry products, including incubators, brooders, feeders, waters, and much, much more. Give them a call at 912-236-0651 or visit them online at gqfradio.com. That's gqfradio.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show lined up for you today. It is, of course, Monday, which means, no, don't fret. I know, Mondays are cool. Uh, you just had a, probably a wonderful weekend with family and friends, and you're like, oh, i got to get back to the old grind, but Mondays are cool around here because we have... Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, that joined us every Monday and helps us um, uh, with our health of our chickens and making sure they're happy and healthy for years to come uh, with tons and tons of great um, time-oriented topics uh, with our backyard poultry. You're not going to get this information from a silly blog uh, or, or, a, uh, or a chicken forum. Uh, I had a nice long conversation with the um, 
a poultry scientist uh, and uh, and vet. Uh, gosh, she's one of the premier in the country. Um, Dr. Um, Maurice Batiski, this morning we were talking about his fall article for Chicken Whisperer magazine. We were just talking about the, the poor and bad and misinformation out there on blogs and forums and uh, related to the topic he's writing for for this fall, which would be internal parasites and worms. And, and uh, I know Peter Brown, we've, we've talked about this uh, and beat that dead horse for a lot. Uh, on the uh, on the radio show, but uh, it was uh, it was just amazing to hear uh, him and and, and me talk, talk about the, the the bad information that's out there, specifically about worming uh, and uh, internal parasites that you find on blogs and forums. It's uh, it's it's amazing, and, and I'll never forget. I guess it was about two years ago. I asked a certified avian veterinarian, uh, point blank, I asked her. It was a female. Um, how many chickens do you think have died because of uh, utilized information on these blogs and forums that are out there uh, that's bad ends up being bad information? No hesitation. She said thousands. Um, I'm sure a lot of it helped. I'm sure there's, there's good information on there, but the average uh, anybody doesn't know what's good and what's bad. It's just posted. I do this, and it could kill your chickens, point blank. So um, we were talking about that today with uh, Dr. Maurice Patiski and his article coming up in the uh, fall uh, issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. So uh, we have a lot of information on the show you will get, guys. So if you want to continue relying on a blog uh, written by somebody that looks stuff up on Google and post it as their own, go ahead. Uh, but you may end up calling the Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, saying, need some help. Uh, utilize this information. Uh, didn't help my birds. And I have delayed time from doing it the right way and actually helping them because I relied on a blog where this person just got information from Google and typed it as her own. So, uh, you know, um, love it when Peter's on. Lots of great information from the heart, um, and uh, he lays it on the line. So it's uh, it's good information. Let me tell you about the Chicken Whisper Tour that's coming up here this fall. We'll be hitting the road in about two weeks, going up for a live national webinar at CDC headquarters. We'll be doing that with USDA, and then we'll be hitting the road. So these are still tentative, but we're going ahead with it as if it has been confirmed, and it's a go, go. I don't have the dates. I'm working on the dates now of when I will be in these cities. But here are the cities it looks like we're going to be stopping in this fall, uh, and as, from Virginia to Maine. And there's a couple of states I don't think we hit. Like I don't think we hit Delaware, and I don't think we hit anything in, let's see, nothing in Delaware. We've had some requests for New Jersey. Not going to be there. Anyway, so here we go. Uh, Mechanicsville, Virginia. Yep, Mechanicsville, Virginia. Looking forward to stopping there. Uh, then heading north, uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, and then Westminster, um, or Westminster, uh, Maryland. And then we've got York, Pennsylvania, uh, Quakertown, Pennsylvania. We've got New Milford, Connecticut, Farmington, Connecticut, uh, uh, I believe it's pronounced Leo uh, Minster, Leo Minster, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Bennington, Vermont, Saratoga Springs, New York, Claremont, New Hampshire, um, Sanford, Maine, uh, Lewiston, Maine, and Bangor, Maine. I think there's 14 uh, events on uh, this tour from Virginia to Maine. So we're now getting, or actually right before the show, I was looking at getting the days. Uh, that we're going to be there, the tour, uh, primarily like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it'll be off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll hit um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Some of them go Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. 
Uh, but just depending on how long it is to the next event, I've got a couple in there that are somewhere between three to four hours. Most of them are 50 minutes to maybe two hours, which is not too bad. We've got a couple kind of stuck in the middle, so I've got to work those out uh, based on the day of the week and what days we have more travel time uh, when we do events. It's so like a Saturday events from 11 to 2, so we can leave that event and still get a good three-hour drive for the Sunday event. So we got to work on all that, but hopefully by the end of today we'll have all that uh, uh, done and uh, we'll be able to post on our Facebook page um, the actual dates and times of the tour. And so we're looking forward to that. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough sometimes being on the road, but again, I travel with my family, which makes it bearable, and we get to stop and do a lot of family fun things as well, which is always a bonus. Very blessed to be able to do that. So uh, we do have a great topic today with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, and today's topic is the cause of heat-related poor eggshell quality and its remedies, because man, it is smoking hot out there. I posted on my personal Facebook page yesterday, I was like, funny observation, when I'm at the homestead and it's 97 degrees outside, I'm like, Man, it is too darn hot to do anything but sit inside and take a nap. <laughs> However, if you're at the beach under an umbrella with your toes in the sand and it's 97 degrees, you're like, ah, this is perfect and awesome. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, maybe yeah, there's some people commented, maybe it's the fresh breeze coming off the ocean that makes it tolerable versus just a humid uh, wet, 97 degree, uh, hot in the sun day, and uh, uh, versus you know maybe 97 on the beach where you have a cool breeze. You're under an umbrella. You've got a uh, you've got a nice cool lemonade. And you're watching the kids, and you're like, ah, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. I was taking a nap at the homestead, so uh, that was funny. And of course, a good friend, longtime listener, Pamela Tippett, was like. Well, just get you a kiddie pool and a bag of sand and sit outside your homestead. There you go. <laughs> it's just not quite the same, Pam. <laughs> kiddie pool with a bag of sand, not, not quite the same. So uh, anyway, got to love it. Let's head over to the phone lines. Let's give uh, Peter Brown a big chick, chicken whisperer welcome. Oh, and uh, we'll bring him on live as soon as the, uh, the the little circle stops spinning here. I did press the button, Peter. You'll be on here in just a second, I think. Uh, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, is it one of those switchboard issues. So, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Andy. How you doing today? Uh, a little warm, just like everybody else. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> the heat's back. We're supposed to actually cool off tomorrow, so it's supposed to be uh, low 80s the rest of the week and uh, less humid, which is going to be nice. But uh, Yesterday and today, um, today is supposed to get up to close to 90. It's uh, got a lot of wind, but it's still very humid here, and uh, I don't like the humidity. I don't, I don't mind heat so much as the humidity. The humidity drives me nuts. It's hard. I understand. Um, I was looking at the map, going through all this uh, today, and I saw Salisbury, and uh, of course, right smack dab in the middle of that big island that sticks out into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, man, uh, how in the world do I get over there? Uh, so um, I'm assuming there's a ferry or I can come down through uh, Wilmington, I'm guessing, or something like that. But uh, I was looking at it, and I don't know how, where. Uh, the thing is, I'm going to try to get all the work done first and, and in a timely manner. 
uh, maybe in about four weeks, doing four events a week for three weeks, uh, plus an extra weekend or something. And then uh, we'll have uh, take about two weeks to once we're done in Bangor, Maine, take a couple of weeks to just ease our way back home and see sites, have some family time, zoos, aquariums, you know, sightseeing, Statue of Liberty, you know, things like that. And uh, some to kind of figure a way how I can get down over towards you and uh, Dr. McRae and um, maybe meet well, with you all. Well, yeah, once you, once you come back down, um, come back down 95, down the Jersey Turnpike, um, and if you're going to go to the Statue of Liberty, you're going to be, uh, you know, you're going to be uh, very close to that anyway. At some point, you're going to more than likely have to, because um, it's on the on the lower end uh, of um, of, um, of Manhattan there. So you'd have to go over around the Verrazano Bridge out that way. And uh, um, so you, you know, then you would come back down 95 and come into. Uh, go over the Delaware Memorial Bridge and then take 13, come bring right straight smack down to to, uh, to my area. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Uh, any of that up there? Because you, you you go to Jersey sometimes, do do with the 4H and uh, that type of mm-hmm. thing. Now, I'm I'm I, 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 being a Southern boy, um, I've been flown through all those places. But as far as driving, I've got a 24 foot you know, camper behind me, travel trailer plus this big F-250, and I'm thinking, okay, you always hear about uh, the, the tunnels and, and the stuff like that. Is, is, is um, I guess I need to kind of uh, map that out and see where I may or may not be able to go. Um, of course, I'm not going to take the camper probably to the Statue of Liberty. We'll, we'll find a, a home camp <laughs> and, and the RV resort park there and then do our sightseeing just in the truck. But, um from what you just described, is there any uh, like low tunnels where you know the camper's not going to be able to get through? No, no, all all that stuff. Okay. Um, uh, no, actually, it's uh, it's all basically uh, you know bridges, and uh, most of the okay. trucks get through all of, all of the tunnels and stuff. So no, it shouldn't be a big deal. Good deal. Uh, all right. Good. More of an annoyance with the traffic. I mean, the traffic once you get up that way, to Staten Island, because that's that's the way you'd more than likely go in. At least that's the only way I know to go in. I, uh, mm-hmm. There are other ways, I'm sure, but um, the uh, the traffic over there is just ugly. <clears throat> just you know, it's just at any time. It used to be you know like rush hour uh, in the morning and rush hour in the evening. Now it's 24/7. That you can go in there in the middle of the night and it's just as bad as it is during the day. It's just uh, uh, yeah. just too many people in one place. That's all there is to it. You know, any of these I big cities. Walter's joined us in the chat room. I know he's going to be uh, coming to one of our events uh, when we're up there in Connecticut. I know we got two Connecticut events, and he's going to be, I think, I can't remember if he said, I think he said Farmington is the one he's going to be attending. But uh, thanks, Walter, for joining us in the chat room and Christmas Chick. We have several guests in the chat room. If you register with Blog Talk, then you can uh, participate in the chat room. We appreciate did you say, that. Did you say you were going to be in uh, Leominster? Yes. yes. Yeah, I, I believe they pronounce that. Uh, uh, let me get this right. Uh, Lemonster, Le- something along those lines. That's uh, it's. Um, uh, they'll, they'll straighten you out once you pronounce now. it. Once you pronounce it backwards, uh, they'll fix you up real quick. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they, Let me find it. It's um. Hang on, just a second. It's yeah. up here. Yeah, L- L- e o m i n s t e r. Yeah, Lemonster. But it's yeah, Lemonster is I think how they pronounce it. Lemon, L E M. But but okay, it's not. I can spell lemon. <laughs> and uh, so, but that's okay. This southern boy's gonna have some fun up there, and um, that's a great place, um, really. Once you get past the traffic, all those places up that way, just great places to be. 
uh, great people. Maybe uh, maybe uh, in the chat room, uh, if um, uh, or let me get back over here to Walter and uh, let us know. And then uh, yeah, and then uh, there's uh, I can't pronounce it. I don't know if it's short for something in the chat room. Listening a lot. P L A E R Y E R. So, um, but um, thank you for tuning in today too. But um, maybe Walter Walter can tell me because um, we'll be up there. Really, the main bulk of the we'll have a couple in. Uh, uh, Late August, in all, all of September, really. And uh, when, when do the leaves start to change up that way? Because I hear you know, we want to take. It's going to be a be- I hear people say, "Man, it's going to be a beautiful trip." And um, so we're well, looking e- even so, to that. you know, I, I think late September, early October. Don't don't quote me on it, but um, mm-hmm. the, either way, whether the leaves change or not, it's just absolutely gorgeous going up through the mountains and and uh, when you get over to uh, you know to the Syracuse area and. Uh, uh, all those places up and through Massachusetts and, and what have you, it's just, just a great ride, especially if you ever have the opportunity to get off the interstate. You know. um, yeah, there's, a, there's a loop that we're making that goes from, um, hang on, that goes basically like 500 miles off the beaten path, off our main line from Virginia to, to Bangor, and uh, where we hit, I think it's um, uh, like Bennington, Vermont, Saratoga Springs, Derry, New Hampshire, Sandra, there's, there's a little loop. Uh, uh, kind of, we're on our main road, and then we just turn left and go way out that way and make a loop and then come back into the main road. But I, I, that area looks like it's going to be absolutely beautiful. But we're uh, we're looking forward to it. I'll, I'll let Jen, the co-pilot, she'll uh, I'm sure she'll get on the on the horn and try to find all kinds of great stuff to do between here and there, and on the way up some, and, and mainly on the way back, including on a stop in Jersey and see some folks and. Uh, uh, Connecticut, I may try to stop by and see the folks over at My Pet Chicken, and then you and Dr. McRae, and and uh, oh, maybe some, and while I'm in uh, Massachusetts, maybe the um, I think Massachusetts, um, I think dot com. See those guys, and uh, anyway, we'll we'll see what happens. Who all I can see and where I can go when we're up there. But I'm you know it's uh, kind, of, kind of looking forward to looking forward to that. But but people are here to listen uh, all about our topic today. So we'll start rambling and yapping, even though it's kind of need information. <laughs> people are always interested in where, where we're going on tour and things like that. But oh, yeah. um, go ahead. Okay. Well, um, several weeks ago we talked about you know um, why chickens don't lay eggs very well. Um, some not at all. Some lay right through the the uh, heat spell. Uh, some lay intermittently and and uh, and all over the place. So we we talked about you know the different interactions of the um, uh, of the bird hormonal system and uh, the uh, stress that was put on the birds with the heat and how that um, uh, directed the blood flow away from the major organs, uh, the, mainly the uh, oviduct and so on, and uh, uh, away from the uh, the ovums themselves, and you know prevented the bird from from uh, producing more uh, mature ovums and effectively take the bird out of production. And um, so we went, you know, we went through and we explained all of the heat stresses and, 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 uh, and things associated with the cessation of laying uh, during, the, during the heat spell, why it happens, how it happens, uh, and basically the only thing you could do uh, with them there is to try to get the body temperature down uh, and uh, allow that blood flow to go back to the oviduct and start production again. Uh, bear in mind that this would be minus any uh, um, 
physical abnormalities, any genetic abnormalities, uh, any disease problems uh, that may be associated with it, similar, uh, something like bronchitis or something like that uh, may interrupt the egg production and, and so on. And then I had some folks contact me in relation to the, the, the problems associated with um, my birds are laying eggs, but the shells aren't worth anything. You know, they're either soft-shelled or very, very thin-shelled or uh, rough and bumpy and, uh, you know, or a lot of uh, uh, calcium on one end and not a whole lot on the other, very thin and, and that kind of thing. And that's basically a whole different um, um, set of parameters there that, that control uh, how that process is, is done because um, what we have is a bird that has uh, obviously ovulated an ovum or yolk, uh, for those that want to call it that, and it's dropped into the oviduct and it's made its way down to the shell gland, but when it gets to the shell gland where it spends the majority of its time, uh, approximately 23 hours or so, uh, getting the shell put on, uh, more or less a lousy job is done. You know, the thing pops out, and if it isn't cracked or half broken on the way out, uh, it has to be handled very fragilely, uh, or very carefully because it's very fragile, uh, and uh, you may even have a rubber egg on the other end. And um, generally, you know, the first thing we think of, uh, all of us, is to uh, there must be a calcium-phosphorus ratio imbalance in the bird in relation to uh, its consumption of vitamin D3 and so on. So uh, we add more uh, vitamin D3 to the water, uh, or we add it into the feed, or we give it to each bird individually, however the operation is set up, and there's no change. The bird continues to pop out eggs uh, when it does with shells that are thin, uh, cracked, uh, misshapen, and so on. And the bird is not unhealthy. It's got no respiratory issues. Uh, uh, the droppings are decent uh, for the time, and, and so on. So just generally, you know, what ends up causing this? Because, you know, uh, after we ask all the questions and everything else, well, do you provide extra calcium? And uh, the uh, <clears throat> answer to the question is yes, and they do. So we have extra calcium being given, and the birds uh, will consume it at will when they need it uh, as a general rule. They don't always. Uh, it depends on the breed. It depends on uh, whether or not the bird uh, has retained that ancient uh, so to speak, trait of seeking out foodstuffs that are high in calcium due to the high calcium needs of the bird's body. Now, we've talked about it before. We've talked about uh, the amount of calcium that a bird has to lay down every day uh, to produce an egg every day in excess of 50% of the calcium in its body. When it's not getting that calcium, it's going to take it out of the bones, uh, and it'll continue to do so until it becomes a crisis situation within the bird's metabolic system, within its body, uh, and the the, uh, uh, the calcium just won't be there, and the bird will shut down its egg production. So we have all of these things we've we've done. We have the extra calcium, we have the uh, the vitamins being put in the water, and we still don't have uh, we have eggs, but we don't have eggs that are really ones that you can put in a carton and sell to your neighbor or or in your business, uh, or you do get some, but you don't get enough, and and so on. So what really uh, ends up causing this problem? What, why do we have this when we're giving the supplements, we're doing everything right, um, and um, uh, it's hot outside, and uh, we're, we're doing everything we can to try to keep the birds uh, uh, happy uh, and keep them in production. Uh, but what really happens is that when we get this situation where birds get into 
this process of uh, trying to keep cool. Uh, there in, in itself lies the answer to, the, to this uh, dilemma. And um, birds will start to cool themselves, uh, like we talked earlier. They will start to uh, send the um, blood flow away from the, the major organs to the uh, periphery uh, to the uh, skin and the, the, the uh, comb, uh, the, the legs and, and the waddles in and, and an attempt to regulate its, its body temperature. But as the temperature of the bird continues to rise and they are unable to control it by doing so, then they go into an evaporative cooling mode. And therein lies the, the, the problem of a bird who is still in production, still able to ovulate the ovums, but can't put a decent shell around that egg. And that's caused <clears throat> by a, um, uh, an acid balance uh, in the bloodstream. And it's caused by the bird panting. So if we can keep the bird from panting, if we can bring down the temperature of their environment uh, enough that we can um, bring that temperature down so that they stop panting, then we can start mobilizing that calcium again in the blood. It's, all it is is a, is a, uh, is a uh, and I make it sound simple, but it's very complex. Uh, and what happens in, in the bird system is that uh, as the bird pants, the bird gives off excessive uh, carbon dioxide. And when it gives off that carbon dioxide, it makes the blood more alkaline. The blood is slightly alkaline anyway but it, it increases the alkalinity of the blood, and when it does that, uh, then the blood is not able to uh, mobilize nor absorb and pick up the uh, calcium uh, and uh, other um, vitamins and minerals and so on and so forth, the uh, calcium chloride, uh, the, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the calcium as a, as a whole unit, uh, the uh, salts, uh, uh, potassium chloride, uh, and so on, and all of these are, are essential for helping the bird uh, mobilize this, uh, this calcium. And when that doesn't occur, uh, the bird can't put enough calcium down to make a proper shell. Now, this is, it, it's kind of like a washing out effect, so when, and, it, and it compounds itself. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about heat stress in birds, and we've talked about it other numerous times. When a bird is under stress like this and it's panting, uh, it, is, it is losing water. And when the bird is drinking water that is uh, closer to its body temperature, it will stop drinking water. So it's, it's actually dehydrating to an extent uh, in an attempt to, to uh, control this, this body temperature. Um, if you don't get the water temperature that the bird's drinking down, uh, from the ambient air temperature outside. So if you've got a 100-degree day today and you've got your uh, water jug sitting out in the middle of, of your, your lot or your pen uh, and the sun shining down on it, uh, the birds more than likely are not going to drink it as it starts to, to warm up. Uh, there's always the exception to the rule. I know somebody will say, well, my birds drink it either way, whatever, and, and they may, but uh, the majority of birds generally do not. And um, so when this temperature... Uh, of the water gets like this, then we have we have two ways the bird starts to lose more water. One is panting, uh, and the, the respiration of the air coming out of the bird's mouth um, is uh, loaded with water. Uh, this is compounded by the fact that on a humid day it makes it 
harder for the bird to uh, lose heat as the temperature of the bird and the outside temperature uh, becomes somewhat equal um, with a, a, a very high uh, relative humidity. Uh, when humidity starts to get up around that 65-70%, uh, the bird is really, really struggling to keep that uh, body temperature under control. And um, that's why we see birds die. They, they, they continue to pant and pant and pant and pant, and they can't stop. And um, it only takes um, in the vicinity of six hours of panting. So if a bird starts panting early in the morning, this uh, uh, alkalinity problem can start before the end of the day. And if that isn't uh, a, a situation where, where birds are, are uh, kept cooler during the evening hours, uh, you can see this thing continue on it very easily into the next day. When the heat starts up in the morning, the bird's still panting. Um, and uh, uh, these eggshells generally that they'll be putting out will be fairly thin to, to scant. Um, and some, uh, you know, the uh, proverbial rubber eggs that, that we get from them. Uh, and this is the general cause of it. It's not actually a sickness. It is an uh, acid-base imbalance caused by the loss of excessive carbon dioxide from the bird's respiratory system. Um, keeping the drinking water of the birds, you don't have to have it freezing cold, but the colder the better. But once the water temperature uh, that the bird is drinking uh, gets under uh, 85 degrees, uh, the magic number is right around 80, uh, the birds will readily drink that water, and uh, that can mean uh, it will... Uh, help them drop their, 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 their uh, body temperature uh, dramatically. Uh, and this can increase their water consumption by at least 30%, which is very important because no matter what, these birds are going to be processing whatever liquid is still in their body, whatever fluids are in their body. So you're going to have the panting effect, losing the, the, uh, the uh, needed water through respiration, and then you're going to have the dropping uh, uh, with urine in it as well. So. Um, they're going to be losing this, this water from, uh, from uh, two different directions, uh, and you can, um, you know, you can control this. Um, the colder the, the, the water, obviously, uh, you know, the, the better it's going to be. But we see this, um, you know, even with the birds that, that stop laying eggs, uh, we, we see the same type of thing. They go into this uh, 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 more alkaline uh, blood situation, uh, changing the pH of the blood, and um, they also can have the same problem uh, even before they finish uh, stop laying eggs altogether. You can, you know, one of the one of the tip-offs there that they might be having a, a further problem would be the the uh, soft-shelled eggs, the uh, uh, the uh, very thin-shelled uh, uh, eggs, and so on, uh, before they stop laying altogether. So uh, it's it's a problem that that's out there, um, and uh, it's. Um, pH of, of the of the blood uh, generally runs around five point uh, I'm sorry seven point three, and um, uh, you don't want it to get much higher than that. As it starts to creep up from there, it it will make a a dramatic uh, impact uh, on the uh, quality of the eggshells. Uh, and you you know you may not see it totally right away, but uh, generally you will because this is a a different situation. Um, uh, in other words, uh, it's not a lack of calcium in the feed. It's not a, a lack of calcium being given uh, as as a extra. It's the inability due to this acid uh, imbalance, uh, base acid imbalance in the bloodstream, 
not allowing the the um, uh, the blood to pick up the necessary calcium and other minerals, the uh, uh, the sodium and potassium, uh, and so on that are that are necessary for making all these things work. And we talked about supplementation. This is one of the things we were talking about. When something is missing, all these other things are there. They can be there. Uh, the sodium can be there. Potassium can be there. The vitamin D3 can be there. Uh, the complete complement of vitamins that a bird needs for everyday function can be there. But if the calcium is not going to be able to, to be circulating in the blood, don't forget, we're talking about a lot of these things. The hormones we talked about two weeks ago, they're all being delivered by the bloodstream. Okay? And the same thing goes for oxygen. Okay? Oxygenation of the, of, of the blood uh, can only ha- happen when there's sufficient um, uh, vitamin B12 and, uh, and stuff to make up the, the, uh, the, the hemoglobin. And it cannot pick up the, uh, the proper amount of oxygen from the blood either when the pH of the blood changes. That's why birds, one of the reasons why birds can become cyanotic and people become cyanotic and other animals because of the inability of the blood to carry enough oxygen. Okay? So it's one of the things that, that you need to, to address. Uh, <clears throat> if it's happening to you, uh, you might want to uh, take the steps that you can to to um, uh, to alleviate the heat stress that are on these birds because it affects them in so many different ways. Uh, here we uh, are lucky in a sense that we do have some trees for shade, uh, but we use a um, a small uh, tarp uh, laid out almost uh, the front is elevated and the back is is pegged into the ground, uh, and it allows them to uh, to get under there if they want to. I only see one or two birds on occasion go under. I think they just like to hang out there sometimes. But uh, uh, even on a day like today, I, I check on the birds quite a bit. Uh, and and uh, these birds are um, uh, laying out in the sun. And it's almost 90 degrees here, and it's fairly humid. But they're comfortable, um, and they have access to you know plenty of, uh, of water. Um, we've yet to have uh, any time where we had to w- withhold feed from them. Um, and the other thing you you will get these type of eggshell problems too uh, is that uh, in this kind of heat, birds are going to uh, drink more than they eat. They get their primary source of uh, calcium from their feed. Uh, and um, research has shown over the years that birds that uh, were fed uh, ca- uh, low calcium diets uh, produced less eggs and uh, eggs with uh, more eggshell problems. Uh, and if the calcium level was uh, low enough, um, below 2%, uh, then they may stop laying it altogether. Uh, because don't forget, they, it may be available to them in, in, their, in, their, in their body, in their bones, but once they start taking enough of that out of there, they get to a break point uh, where the, the body will shut down the egg-laying uh, uh, process. And, and, uh, and a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, we talked of, of the rhyme and reason why, because egg-laying is a secondary sexual characteristic, meaning they don't need it for survival, so it's the first thing to go. So it's a very fragile balance to try to get this, uh, you know, the way that uh, uh, you can keep them laying and keep them with, in, in the summertime with all the uh, different uh, weather problems, uh, mainly heat, uh, and keep them with uh, good eggshells. Now, uh, some of the solutions that, that you can do is obviously keep the birds uh, as cool as possible. Keep the water temperature of the water that they're going to drink uh, at 80 degrees or below. The colder, the better. The other thing that you can do, uh, you can try to change that acid-base balance in, the, in their bloodstream, irregardless of the fact that they still may be 
uh, panting. If you can control some of that panting and get it down to where they're not really panting, you know, real crazy, uh, you can uh, probably reverse this a little bit and start to get some better eggshells. And one of the ways to do that uh, is to add sodium bicarb to the to the uh, to the water. And I would add that at about four grams uh, per gallon of water. So just uh, plain old baking soda in the drinking water should help alleviate uh, this particular situation uh, to some degree. Um, and then I've seen some cases where nothing helps, and you just have to ride it out and uh, and wait for cooler weather uh, for better eggshells. But um, some of the things you can do, uh, seeing as how we're on the subject, uh, uh, we've talked about this numerous times, uh, move air. You know, when we put the birds to bed out here at night, um, Last night I put them to bed out there about 9 o'clock. It was 78 degrees in there, and we got a nice fan on, and I closed the door, locked them up, and I went back out uh, before bedtime and just checked the temperature, and it was about 76 degrees in there, and I was a happy camper and went to bed. And that was the end of that. So um, you, if you move air, you can you can help them keep cool. The, uh, we talked about the water being uh, cold. Uh, down to 80 degrees uh, is, is, uh, is the uh, optimal. That's where you're going to get a lot of, uh, of, of good uh, um, help in keeping the birds uh, cool. Uh, add the sodium bicarb uh, to the water. Uh, you could add some aspirin, uh, about 350, maybe 400 milligrams per gallon of water uh, would be sufficient, and that should help lower their internal body temperature. Uh, again, provide shade in any way that you can. We, like I said, we do it here just in case, necessarily because it's necessary, but uh, it's an easy thing to do. Uh, a tarp is cheap at almost any uh, uh, tractor supply or whatever. Um, you can make your own swamp cooler. Um, you can email me for the uh, artist's rendition of what one would look like, uh, although they do seem to work a lot better when the, um, when the uh, temperature is warm and the humidity is lower. Um, one of the other things you can do w with this uh, eggshell problem uh, is to... Um, Feed real, real early in the morning, um, and uh, don't feed again during the day. And generally speaking, most birds uh, will will do that. They'll eat in the morning, and then they really will stay away from the food as the temperature rises to an uncomfortable level. Um, or you can feed them, you know, late in the day, um, and uh, or feed them in the shade in the late of the day, and and that'll help uh, decrease birds' activity level. If you've got a rooster running around. Uh, driving everybody nuts in there, uh, you know, um, running around is expending energy. Burning up energy is burning up calories. Burning up calories is making heat, and uh, they don't need that. So if you can decrease the bird's activity level, I think you'll uh, you'll be hel you know, helping yourself there. Um, fog the birds uh, with a, uh, some cool water. Uh, add vitamins, electrolytes to the drinking water. This, along with sodium bicarbonate, could help with this eggshell problem as uh, as well. Um, if your birds are confined, uh, open some windows. If you've got air conditioning in your coop, you could do that. Um, you could also uh, run a sprinkler on the roof to keep the, the roof cool. Um, you could use some uh, burlap to um, shade out windows so that the sun doesn't come uh, directly through. Uh, adding vitamin C to the water uh, has also been hel uh, uh, shown to, uh, to be helpful in, in keeping this uh, uh, temperature uh, down. Uh, this uh, 
uh, using wet burlap uh, and uh, keeping it wet and then running a fan over it can, can also help uh, drop the temperature right around the birds that would be in front of it. Uh, and last but not least, in my mind, uh, we also do it here, uh, is several extra waterers put out in the shaded areas, uh, and uh, I think you'll find that uh, that will work out just you know, pretty well. Everybody getting a chance to drink, nobody having to wait until all of the uh, dominant birds are, are finished uh, um, getting their share, fair share of the, of, the, uh, of the drinking water. So uh, for, the, for the today's subject, that's kind of basically it. Uh, but Andy, I had emailed it. I did want to speak a few minutes about coccidiosis, if you've got time. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Why don't we go ahead and, uh, and we'll take a short commercial break. Then we come back, we'll switch gears, and uh, we'll cover a little bit on toxidiosis. I know that you had uh, talked about having several calls about that, so we could touch on that a little bit, and that sounds uh, perfectly fine. Okay. If you're just tuning in, we thank you very much for doing so. We're talking with Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, and uh, we just finished up a, a topic. If you missed any of it, no worries. The entire show is archived for your listening pleasure, 24 hours a day, seven days a week probably about 20 minutes after we leave the air. So uh, we'll switch gears, talk a little bit about coccidiosis, follow up with that, and then uh, uh, when we return after this short break. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be back with more Peter Brown and the Chicken Doctor. When you need an incubator, think Brensi, the incubation specialist. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensea.com. Brensea spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensea.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. 
Pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. How would you like a punch in the beak? Actually, in reality, I am Super Chicken. Alrighty, thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. I'm going to share something with you real quick. I've been doing this, folks, for a long time. Peter has as well. And um, whenever you're in the uh, public eye, sometimes you have to just let things just, just like water just flow right off of your back because no matter how you respond, it ends up being kind of a, a catch-22. But I was over on my Facebook page and last night. We had some good friends over from our church and and uh, I love cooking with cast iron. It's probably the majority of anything we ever cook is um, uh, cast iron. And um, so last night I said, you know what, we're having them over. I'll, um, I was talking to my church yesterday. What do you like? Here's some options that I fix a lot, and it's good for groups, whatever, you know, that type of thing. I guess there were about seven or eight of us. And um, I said this, that, the other. And I said, you know, chicken pot pie. And they're like, oh, I love chicken pot pie. So I was like, okay, great, well, I'll fix that. So I got home, pulled out the old cast iron. I posted pictures of it on uh, my personal page and over on uh, the Chicken Whisper page. And uh, I, so, so I made two large, like uh, maybe 13, 14-inch uh, round and in a square a cast iron pan, two big pot pies for the adults. And I happened to have uh, a tiny little uh, pan, a uh, cast iron pan, and then kind of a medium size, small, but... Uh, so what I did was I uh, got a little creative, had a little fun, and made Lily, who's my 16-month-old, her own little personal chicken pot pie in this little probably three-inch round cast iron skillet. <laughs> and then Caleb, who is three years old, I had one that was probably about six inches round, about the size of a personal pan pizza, I guess, maybe a little bit smaller, and uh, made him a, a chicken pot pie and then made the two big ones. Then I had my grandma's uh, cast iron skillet that she's had since we dated it to about 1932, when she passed away, uh, I was only about, I don't know, 14 or 15, but I think my parents asked, it was my mom's grandma, my mom's mom, and uh, what would you like? And, you know, I said, I'd love to have our skillets. I've had it all these years. And I made a uh, an apple crumb pie um, and, uh, and that, and I posted pictures of it. And, of course, uh, which is fine, uh, I'll, uh, I get, um, not many, I get about three comments from people that are, 
how dare you eat chicken and be the chicken whisperer. So I just thought that was kind of, uh, of interesting. So um, <laughs> I know it. I know it. How dare you whisper to chickens and feed them treats and blueberries and oatmeals in the morning and then cut their heads off and eat them. And then that's not the case. Um, we have raised our own chickens for consumption. But we have pet chickens as well. And uh, that was something that my wife had to deviate between. Yes, we have layers that, you know, have eggs and they're named and there's princess and petunia and uh, whatever. And then we have an area where we keep our meat birds uh, uh, that, that we do process. And um, and doesn't, you know, they're not named. They are a, uh, a considered livestock versus more pets. So, you know, we so they just don't name them. I have a personal, you know. So anyway, but you're going to get. So the neat thing is, and I tell people every time I'm talking to media or going out to group, talking to fans and everything, I said the cool thing about what I do in, in this backyard chicken movement that everybody is doing it. You've got the preppers that are doing it for the to prepare for the end times, and they're keeping chickens. You know, you, you've got the the urban, uh, not just stereotype, but you know, you've, you've got urban soccer moms who are doing it to, to provide. You know, they're they're you know driving minivans to soccer practices and they're keeping chickens and their pets. You've got um, anybody and everybody. You've got the liberals. You've got the conservatives. You've got black, white, tall, and thin. You've got I've got uh, uh, I've got uh, vegans and vegetarians. They keep chickens. And uh, they don't even eat the eggs of the chicken. They they give that away, but they use the chicken first. So, so we talk about this in our classes, about how everybody, regardless of walk of life, race, creed, religion, whatever, they're all keeping chickens, and, uh, which is cool because our, our fan base is, is all of the above, from the prepper to the soccer mom to the, to the vegan to the vegetarian. We all co- co-mingle just fine, and they, they, we get educated about keeping our chickens for whatever reason. And then, of course, every now and then, and again, last night, I have people that post, and I'm just going to read this to you because it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting to see. You know, this, uh, and, and the majority, after I, I, doing this for for a full-time job and then being brought into the show's been on for six years, so, uh, so we get it on occasion, uh, this this kind of stuff, and um, it's uh, we just we just roll with it because everybody has their own opinion of what. But somebody had posted here. Um, um, Let's see. I follow such pages to help provide me with the best advice to care for and raise my hands with love and care. I am sad to see so much effort to go into the care of backyard hens who become family members only to justify their murder. Uh, they don't go to the table with love and appreciation. There is no humane. There is no humane murder. So sad that we have all been programmed to believe that. I'm sure that I'm the minority here, but I'm so disappointed in this post that I will no longer be following this page. I am a realist. That sounds like it to me. I'm a realist, and I know there are those of us who raise chickens and continue to consume them. Consume them. But honestly, save those posts for your personal page. I agree with the sentiments of those above who seem to have issues with this. Sad that one whispers to love and cared for chickens and then serves them up for dinner. So that was that was one of them. <laughs> I know, I know. And then the next one is, yeah. uh, after caring for and loving the real personalities of my chickens, I do not partake in eating the flesh of those I care for and love. I could never have my chicken come up to me and thinking that they're going to get a special treat, and then they're actually going to get killed for dinner. Um, that oh, is well. not so. Um, Such is life. So anyway, I, I get this on occasion, and um, you know the, the interesting thing is, 
I just went to this woman's um, Facebook page. This is all done on Facebook. And I went to her Facebook page because I, I was going to type out. I was going to type out, you know, if I had a nickel for every person I met or knew or had a conversation with or, or saw on Facebook that commented about the, the uh, horrible person that I am because I eat chicken and all the other people who eat chicken and that's just not right for them, and that's, I respect that. That's perfectly fine. If I had a nickel or a dime for every time I met those people or had a conversation with them and found out that they wear leather shoes, a leather belt, and have leather in their Lexus, um, and then comment on that, then all of a sudden they shut up and go away. They, they don't want to hear that, that they have leather Nikes on um, and, or, or they have a leather belt on with their ensemble or they have leather seats and they're mini or they're Prius or, or their pickup truck or whatever. So, so when I when I bring that to their attention, then oh no, they don't want to hear about the beautiful big brown-eyed eyelashed cow that was killed, so they could have a leather tennis shoe. Um, so I just you know the, the number of number of times I've, I've you know again it's been doing this a long time. This show alone six years, and so this occasionally happens. But I thought I'd share it on air because I'm reading it right now uh, during the break. And and uh, I went to this young lady's uh, Facebook page that made the comment. And I noticed she is does roller derby and just so happens has pictures wearing leather roller skates during roller derby. So I'm going to comment and say, you know, I really feel so sorry for the cow with those big brown eyes and the eyelashes going moo every time you deck somebody during your roller derby competition. So anyway... Yeah, she's wearing leather leather roller skates, and so she, I guess she doesn't care about the cows out there, but she cares about it. So anyway, I, it's, it's a hypocrisy a lot of times to me. If you can explain to me why it's not a hypocrisy to wear leather shoes and have leather seats in your Prius and, and have a leather belt and then complain to me because I'm eating chicken pot pie, then please explain to me how that is not a hypocrisy. But I just want to point that out. Wearing leather boots. She has leather, you know, uh, roller skates on that obviously was a, is a dead cow somewhere. So anyway, I thought I'd share that with everybody since I was reading that and uh, replying to that uh, during the uh, commercial break. So, But uh, we'll get on to, and, and like I said, you just let it roll off the box, you know, say to each their own, but I just, uh, it's just one of those, and it happens very rarely every now and then, but, um, and I respect their, uh, in fact, I have great mammoth long-time fans that are vegans and vegetarians and, and learn a lot about carrying taking care of their pets in, in their backyard. And, um, but you would be amazed. And actually, not you, uh, Peter, because you know, you know it. But um, when, when, when I started the Atlanta Backyard Poultry Meetup Group um, probably about five years ago, and um, uh, seeing the number of people that um, had that view, oh, these are my pet chickens, and they're all named. I could never imagine eating them or calling them or anything like that. Never, never. These are my princesses, my, my, the love of my life, you know, my coop. And, Mm-hmm. But you would be amazed at how, how many of those folks that start out with that view, even keeping pet chickens, uh, when we had a, a class on processing, how many attended? And when I talked to them, they were like, and I see so many people now when I'm on the road touring, they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know, we started out pet chickens, and, I'm, and I love my pet chickens and, I, and their name, but we're looking at doing, doing the, the, some, having some meat birds as well. Uh, even though I could never dream about killing Princess Petunia or, or Gertrude, 
um, that type of thing, and, and then eating them. There's just no way. But we are looking, and, and the number of people that say, you know, I probably am not at that level now. I probably don't ever anticipate doing it. But I took the class so I could have the education and know how to do it correctly if I ever chose to, if I ever had to, if I ever decided to. And then the number of people who thought they could never do it, ever, um, are, are attending these classes because they are now considering having, wanting to know where their food comes from and, and wanting to, the humane treatment of the chickens while they're uh, alive, and then they say a blessing over them before they process them to say thank you for you know you know feeding and you know family with nutrition and that type of thing. So, but it's just a, it's, it's interesting how I've found that there's a number of people that thought they'd never be able to do that. They're now actually um, getting and going down that pathway of providing a. a a healthier food choice for their family, but of course they still have their pet chickens like Gertrude and Princess and Petunia that they would never consider uh, calling to to eat. And so, but it's interesting how when I travel around the country that you know I talk to so many people, and we have vegans and vegetarians that show up and whatnot. So and they're huge fans of the show and and what we promote and what we do. So, but so I'm about to comment on that same post about uh, how I feel sorry for the cow that died so she could do roller derby with very leather roller skates. <laughs> and I'll probably get some flack from that. But, hey, I'm, I'm only human, so... I, I but, have, uh, I have like you, and, you know, it, it comes in all different, uh, uh, you know, different uh, flavors, so to speak. You know, uh, uh, I, I get it about the one who's got ten birds as pets and has them all named and certainly could uh, never consider, um, for the most part, you know, harvesting one of those birds and, and eating it. Because uh, I know people that that do it both ways. They've got meat birds for the table, and they've got the birds that the kids have, and they've got their own, and what have you. So, you know, I I get all of that. But it's the power of the keyboard. You know, somebody can sit somewhere, and get a, uh, a harebrained idea about something, and just put it out there. And um, they know that other people will pile on because there are a, a number of people out there that feel the same way. Um, you know, I, I just. <clears throat> I just, at, at my age now, I've, more and more, I've just learned to blow it all off. And um, what I do is uh, now if somebody really starts to get stupid, I just unfriend them as far as that's concerned so I don't have to see it anymore. And then um, other people, I just stop responding. That's my new tactic now. When you get crazy and you get, you know, you get a simple question being asked on a, on a forum or, or Facebook or whatever, and then you get it 60 wacko ideas as to how to fix something that uh, could be fixed with a, uh, a three-quarter inch brad. Um, you know, it just behooves me to understand why you would want to wade through all the other crap to get to the real answer. So I just, when it gets, <clears throat> when it gets crazy, uh, what I do now, uh, maybe it's detrimental to me, maybe not, who cares at this point of the game, but I go back and actually delete every post I made in it and leave them all to their own. And that's my new tactic. If you if you're not interested in learning, you know the proper methodology, and you want to believe in a bunch of garbage, I'm okay with it. You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I that's so my new tactic now is that uh, if you irritate me too much, I just go back and everything that I put into that post, I delete it out, and uh, I'm done with it. And then you can all can have a free for all with it, however way you want. So that's that's my new uh, methodology. And you know what? It keeps my heart rate down, keeps my blood pressure down, <laughs> and I'm, I'm all right with it. Yeah, because, look, 
there's no money in it for me going on any blog anywhere unless somebody out of the kindness of their, their soul decides to buy something from my website. Okay? We all know that the vast majority of them will go elsewhere wherever they can find it the cheapest once they get the information. We, I know that. I'm not stupid. So, you know, what, what's in it for me to continue to sit there hour after hour and, and go toe-to-toe with somebody that doesn't know, you know, uh, doesn't know what they're talking about? And that's exactly what leads up to the next thing I'm going to talk about here in the next 20 seconds, and that's coccidiosis. Um, there are so many people out there that haven't got a clue as to how this whole thing works, how it operates. We've been through it numerous times on this program to try to, uh, and, you know, to en- enhance people's uh, understanding and education uh, of how the disease works, what it is, how to deal with it on a daily basis, uh, and so on. And I still get these, these uh, uh, you know, and I guess it's going to continue because the, the, uh, all the years I've been doing this, uh, you know, they, they just don't, they don't want to buy into what the truth is. So it's either they don't want to do the work that's required to do it, or they are much like the well, they are much like the commercial poultry industry wanting to buy into medicines and stuff to try to control a problem that they're too lazy to take care of. And that's all that matters. Ooh. Look, coccidiosis is nothing more, nothing less, not today, not tomorrow, not last uh, year, and not 10 years ago or beyond. Nothing more than a management problem, period. That simple. And when I say a management problem, People say, well, I use medicated feed, but it still doesn't keep it. It's not designed to do that. It's not designed to prevent them from getting coccidiosis. Not now, not ever, never was. Okay? What it's designed to do is allow those birds to get a controlled exposure to coccidiosis in the hopes that they will not be overwhelmed by it. The way they get overwhelmed by it is how you mismanage the situation by allowing the moisture in the litter to get uh, above 30% which allows the oasis that are in that litter to grow out of control, and those birds peck in that litter and pick up those oasis. Now you think the smart thing to do is, okay, I've not managed that well, so let me mismanage it even further. Let me clean out all of this litter, and I'll start from scratch, and lo and behold, it comes right back, and it's still biting in the butt. And the reason for that is that the only way a bird can maintain immunity to coccidiosis is by controlled exposure to the oasis in their droppings. So when you take them all out, now they don't have any, we're back to square one, and all they can do now is put more oasis back into clean litter and, and perpetuate that cycle. You would be by far better off to add some dry litter to that to take some of the moisture up and try to kill off some of those oasis in there and gain control. That's how it's done. It's not done. I, I keep reading these posts, and I just don't want to get involved anymore, where I've scrubbed with this and I've scrubbed with that, and I still have the problem, uh, blah 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 If you don't get control of it from day one, you're not managing the situation properly. And it's that simple. And, you know, you're not supposed to wait till you see blood in the droppings. You're not supposed to wait till half of the brooder is standing around droopy-winged, sleepy-headed, uh, and so on. At the first symptom of coccidiosis, that's, even if you're on a medicated feed, that's where I would start. And come in with a uh, sulfadimethoxine or a higher dose of amprolium, 
to see if you can get it under control. If the Amprol is not going to do it after a couple of days, you better get some sulfadimethoxine in the drinking water right away or it's going to get out of control. But so many people wait till mortality shows up in death's door and then they want to control it. It's already done. It's already, you've already mismanaged it terribly and you've got a pile of dead birds and they continue to die and you keep cleaning and cleaning and cleaning, they continue to die, and you haven't done anything to, to, to mitigate the situation. You've lost control of it. So I wanted to throw that out there today. Uh, uh, it, it angers me because it's so unnecessary, so unnecessary. And, you know, uh, people saying, well, I don't use medicated feed. Uh, in this, that. Well, that's what you want to do. You go ahead. People, I don't want to use medication. It's not really a medication if you understood it from the first uh, point. And I just get tired of explaining it. And... Uh, so I figured I'd throw it out here, maybe a little bit bigger audience. Uh, it's there for people to go back and listen to again that you need to get control of it from day one. You can't wait. You can't allow spilled water uh, to accumulate. You can't allow uh, uh, crusty feed that's, that's wet and moldy and, and, and uh, got a lot of moisture in it. You're looking at a bedding moisture of about 30%. And when you've got humid days outside, that means that you've got to be watching your bedding. You've got to be watching for coccidiosis because that bedding is going to be picking up that moisture out of that air, okay? And it can turn on you in a heartbeat. So here people say, how long does it take for, for birds to, to, uh, in a brooder to get coccidiosis? Less than seven days on average, okay? And I heard everything from two months to three weeks to two weeks to this, that, and the other thing. And that, therein lies the mismanagement. Therein lies that false information that you were talking about with uh, uh, Dr. Petiski before uh, the show today. And uh, how many, how much, how much, uh, how many chickens has has that misinformation killed? Hundreds of thousands. Because I've had people many, many times on a weekly basis call me and say, "I don't understand what's going on." I said, "Why? What's the problem?" Yeah. Well, I raised. I hatched out 700 chickens. I've got 50 left. I said, you go through the symptoms and everything. I said, you know, for 20 bucks, you could have fixed this. Really? Oh, yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Just mismanagement all the way. If I sound agitated, I am. I'm irritated. You betcha. Because it doesn't have to happen. doesn't have to happen. So it just kind of gets under my skin, and I figured that uh, if you didn't mind, I'd run by it again. This is how you control it. And if you, uh, you've got to control the bedding, you've got to control the bird, and here's another thing. People want to crowd those brooders out. Got too many, too many birds in a brooder, too much manure going in there. So when they do pick up coccidiosis, if you've got twice as many birds in a brooder that really belong there, because I see it all the time, well, I've got more birds in a brooder because I didn't have the space and I, I'm still hatching, and blah, blah, blah. You're, you're creating your own monster. You're creating your own monster. So now you're really going to load up that, that, uh, uh, that brooder with all these oocysts from the coccidia, and now it's going to have a party. And, you know, uh, it's, it's a shame to see all these wonderful birds being uh, killed and maimed by owners because they won't pay attention. Mm-hmm. So that be as it said, um, I will probably see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so frustrating because we're so passionate about what we do, wanting to get the right information out there. And, and it is another perfect example. Back when we were we – I talked about it last week, the, had the uh, episodes on about the um, – Salmonella uh, outbreak when 75%, three out of four of the uh, experts we had on said if it was their chickens, they would call them. That's, we know that's not a popular answer. That's not the answer that most people want to hear. 
And so we know some people will search the corners of the earth and spend months trying to find an answer that they want to hear. And then once they find that answer they want to hear, after 99% of the people selling, saying, you know, coal, your chicken, this is the reasons why, they'll find one person out there that will say, no, I don't think it's necessary, and then that's the answer they're here, and then that's the answer they're going to take. Uh, after, after even though 1% out of everybody they asked said, no, that's not the answer, they'll find one, and then that's the answer they want to hear. So that's the right answer because it's the answer they wanted to hear right or wrong. So you know, we've, we've gone down, down that path with the coccidiosa, with the uh, salmonella outbreak uh, with Mount Healthy Hatcheries, and it was, uh, we, we saw that occur when, when we were dealing with that because we know it's, it's not a popular answer. We understand that. So it's uh, just, again, because we're so passionate, it, gets, it does get frustrating. And uh, sometimes when we see people just looking stuff up on Google and posting it, and people think, oh, okay. So, but hey, thank, thanks so much. Great information um, about that, that, the things that you just don't think about when, uh, with, with the eggshells and, and, the hot, and the heat and what really causes that. It's not what you think, and, it's, and, and then the coccidiosis. And you know, here, here's the bottom line. So that's why I said when we brought you on, this is information you're not going to get anywhere else. You're not going to get it in a blog. You're not going to get it in a forum. And so we're glad that people listen. We're glad that it's been popular and it's been successful over the last six years doing the podcast and, and uh, because people are seeing that. And the same thing with Chicken Whisperer Magazine with Peter writing for it, Dr. McRae and Dr. Petiski and and uh, and uh, all the others, and then the great product reviews from users of the product, um, and and uh, just like yourselves, that then post their their opinion, and uh, so versus just somebody that's writing something that's kept chickens for six months, and people read it in a magazine, and they think because it's in a chicken magazine, it's it's the truth, it's scientific, fact based, study based, and and it burns them. So, uh, Peter, thanks so much. That's why we have you on all the time. It's awesome information, great quality inf- information that they're not going to get anywhere else. And, yes, we look forward to seeing you next Monday. We appreciate it. <laughs> okay, we'll see you then. Thanks. Great, thank you. Hey, make sure you visit his website, firststatevetsupply.com. Uh, if he doesn't have it, probably don't need it. But there you go, firststatevetsupply.com. Dot com. Check him out. If you've got questions for Peter, he'll be glad to answer them for you, I'm sure. Uh, chicken at DR at FirstStateVetSupply.com. Chicken DR at FirstStateVetSupply.com. And to finally wrap up, uh, I went, uh, was over there at that young lady's uh, Facebook page that was uh, giving me uh, heck for uh, having chicken pot pie last night to feed my family. And she also uh, appears to own a leather couch. Now, it could be faux leather. Uh, but it appears to be a leather couch to go along with her leather roller skate she wears for roller derby. So uh, I, I feel for those cows, those big brown eyes and those long eyelashes. And I love cows. I'm telling you, cows are awesome. I've always loved them. I have cow calendars. Um, uh, there's something about a cow that I truly, truly <laughs> like. If I had enough land, I would have cows and, and cattle. But I'm still going to enjoy a steak every now and then. And I think the majority of my listeners, the majority of my fans by far, understand because there's a lot of you. I love you all and I thank you for listening and reading the magazine and reading the book and, and tuning in uh, that we all agree to disagree and we respect each other's opinions. Some of you don't eat chicken. Some of you don't eat meat. Some of you do. And uh, you're not holding my, uh, uh, holding me to the, the, the coals of the fire because I choose to and other people choose to. We all get along and we all learn. But there's, with, with backyard poultry, it's anybody and everybody from the prepper to the soccer mob to, to the folks that are doing it to feed their family to the folks that are doing it because they want fresh food or they, they're concerned about the humane treatment of the animals in the large commercial farms. So they do that themselves. And some of them, they actually eat those chickens and um, 
because they don't like the care of the chickens in the commercial farms. Some do it because they want their food to travel 15 yards, not 1,500 miles. And they're saving the environment that way with all the fossil fuels. So, you know, everybody has their reason of why they're keeping backyard chickens. And uh, but, but the majority of the folks uh, that, that are, I think, my fan base still go down to the grocery store and buy chicken to feed their family. But they still have their pets in their backyard that they wouldn't dream about calling or eating because they're named. And they give them blueberries and warm oatmeal every morning. And I appreciate that and respect that and respect your opinion. But... Um, but you don't need to crawl over my rear end because I feed my family chicken papa while you have a leather couch in your house, leather in your car, and wear leather shoes. And yet you're dissing me for eating chicken papa. I think it's a hypocrisy, to be honest with you. So, Hey, if you want to let me know what you think, CW at chickenwhisperer.com. Always glad to hear from my fans and listeners. CW at chickenwhisperer.com. That's going to wrap up another show. And we, uh, hey, we'll look forward to seeing you later in the week, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh